Welcome, Pewter Report readers, viewers, and listeners to a brand new edition of the Pewter Report podcast, Energized by Celsius. It is a Tuesday edition of the show where we will set the stage, set the scene, as they say, as we preview week two of Bucks OTAs. The Bucks will be practicing tomorrow, Wednesday, in front of the media. They've been practicing all week and last week as well, too, but... We get to have the media there, get to interview a couple of players out there, talk to head coach Todd Bowles as well, too. So there's a ton of things to get brought up and get into today. I am your host, Matt Matera, and joined with me is our cap guru, a genius when it comes to figuring out the salary cap, which is not a myth, by the way. He also does a fantastic job with his grinding the tapes, breaking down a lot of tape from the Bucks rookie draft class, some former Bucks like Indomitian Sue. He has a lot more coming out as well, too. It is Josh Capo. Josh, how are you doing today on this fine Tuesday, my friend? Dude, with a hype man like you, I'm doing fantastic. <laughs> hey, I, I try to bring the energy, man. I, I, I appreciate everyone that's here and watching this show, so I just try to bring it as much as I can. And it's awesome when we get all the personalities of Pewter Report onto the show as well, too. So I'm pumped that you're able to join the show. You're obviously a very busy man working your other job as well, too, and still joining us here with Pewter Report. So uh, let's get it rock and rolling because there has been, even though we haven't seen the Bucks practice since last week, since last Tuesday, to be specific, there's been a lot of things to catch up on. Obviously, yesterday's yeah. show, we talked a ton about Julio Jones. Would he be a good fit for the Buccaneers? Should the Bucs even go after him? We'll talk about that a little bit later because we'll, we'll get to the first bit of news that we saw today. If you're on social media, you probably saw it. Tom Brady posted a video. I believe it was a TikTok, if I'm not mistaken. He's in Tampa. He's right down the road. He was playing a sport. It wasn't football, but he was playing sports in Tampa, Florida. He posted a video of himself, his trainer, Alex Guerrero, and Gronk. They were all at the uh, New York Yankees minor league. Yeah, uh, where they have train spring yep. training. They're, they're complex over there. And... um Brady was swinging, and I didn't know he was a. I didn't know that he swung lefty too. I just kind of thought because he golf's righty, that he would hit the ball righty as well too. But that's not the case, which is funny because I'm one of those people. I throw lefty. I'm left-handed, but I yeah. golf and I bat righty. So when I saw him batting lefty, I was like, "What's going on there?" But Brady was hitting the baseball, and uh, Rob Gronkowski was out there in the field. So of course, everyone's antennas went on. People <laughs> put on their tin foil hats. Is Gronk coming back? What does this mean? Is Tom Brady going to start playing in OTAs, even though he hasn't in a decade? Uh, did you see the video? What was your initial reaction to it? I, I did see the video. I'm always fascinated by people who can do certain things one-handed, kind of like what, what you were just mentioning, um, a certain bit of ambit ambidextrousness. Yes. My son is the same way. My 10-year-old, he throws lefty, but he does everything else in the world righty. He'll no hit way. Righty. Yeah, he'll hit righty. He writes righty. But when he goes to throw a baseball, it's left handed. So um, it's always been interesting for me for me to see people who do that. I've tried to train myself to hit lefty. I've played uh, baseball up through high school and uh, just it never went well. I'm a natural right hander on everything <laughs> that I do. It was cool seeing uh, seeing uh, Brady out there. It was really cool seeing um, Gronk with him. And of course, like you're right. You know, I, I like to dub this part of the NFL season speculation season. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, there's been nothing short of that, especially with uh, with Gronk. And, and I think there were some national pundits who put out um, some articles today regarding him and what his value is and um, whether he's going to return to the Bucks. And that, that tends to be like the big buzz right now 
uh, when it comes to Tampa Bay. Yeah, let's get into that. So Pewter Report had a story out today. I'll post that in the chat in a little bit. But it was almost a reaction story with information as well, too. Because there's the first bit of news that uh, Pro Football Talk and Mike Florio put out today where they essentially were saying, and I'm paraphrasing here, but they were essentially saying that the money might be too much for Gronk. The Bucks aren't going to be able to afford Gronk. Yeah. And that's why he hasn't come back yet. And it seems at this point, too, it's Gronk's only playing for the Bucks, or he's not playing football. All right. There's not nope. a mystery team. I know there was rumors right around the combine that the Bills could have been interested in him. They ended up getting another Bucks tight end, not Rob Gronkowski. They went with OJ Howard. But for Gronk, and so anyway, the, the Peter Report article that came out, essentially, uh, Scott Reynolds wrote it, where he was saying that this isn't the case at all. The Bucks want Gronk back clearly. Yep. They can afford him. Yep. And it's all going to come down to whether or not Gronk wants to play. If he wants to play, they will welcome him back with open arms. I mean, that's something that Jason Light, the Bucks general manager, has been saying since the draft. He said we could even end up drafting two tight ends, which they did. Crazy foreshadowing. Obviously, Jason Light had a plan going into it. But he kind of alluded to, like, hey, we're going to draft some tight ends, and we're still going to bring back Gronk. So it has nothing to do with the money side of things. But, Josh, if you want to talk about that a little bit, just where yeah. the Bucks are at cap-wise, the value of Gronk, um, what could they sign him at? Because the past couple of years he's played at $10 million, I believe, two years ago and dipped yep. a little bit uh, yeah. prior year. So, yeah, just feel free to – yeah, and I've actually got an article coming out about it um, sometime, I think, later tonight, maybe tomorrow, um, really talking about what is Rob Gronkowski's value. Now, Florio, in his article, uh, pure speculation, I don't think there's a shred of evidence in it, um, but he threw out that Gronk shouldn't play for anything less than $15 million a year. And if that is what his asking price is, okay, yeah, I would say the Bucks should balk at it. The reason being, $15 million a year annual average value is exactly what um, – George Kittle makes for the San Francisco 49ers. And that mm. is the top of the market for tight ends. Gronk is fantastic. He is a future Hall of Famer, but he's also 33 years old with lots of injury concerns. He's not the number one tight end in the NFL, and he shouldn't be paid like the number one tight end in the NFL. I don't think he's asking for number one in the NFL, tight end in the NFL money. Um, he never really has since coming back to the Bucks. Um, as you, you mentioned, he played in 2020. It was the last year of his Patriots deal. So yes. the Bucks traded for him, and they, uh, you know, they they paid him what he was due to make during that uh, year, which was 10 million dollars. They brought him back last year for, uh, I believe, it was eight and a half million dollars. Okay, now they paid him the eight and a half million dollars in cash that year, but his cap hit was only three and a half. Okay, there's five million dollars of um, dead cap money that went into this year, and Scott Reynolds. Um, details all of that in his article perfectly. This year should be similar. You know, if Gronk's looking to make a little bit more than the eight and a half, I think there's definitely a case to be made that he warrants that. But somewhere between eight and eleven million dollars is really where his value lies. And there's a bunch of different ways that you can slice it. I'm gonna not get into all of it right now, but I am gonna tease that article I'm putting out. Um, excellent, you, excellent job, by the way, teasing it. You. That's a pros pros move right there. <laughs> I appreciate <laughs> it. But we go through a few a few different ways of how we we come to that valuation on it. Um, and the Bucks can definitely afford it. They've got a little over $12 million worth of cap room right now. That money has to cover any few you know, signings that they haven't made, as well as other things like practice squad players once we get into the season. So it's a decent chunk of change. But the other thing that we need to also remember is just like last year, if they sign Gronk to what will be a one-year deal, 
He's publicly said at this point in his career, he wants to go year to year. Most likely there's going to be deferred money on that. So you're looking at a base salary that'll probably be around one and a half million dollars and then a prorated signing bonus. So even if let's say they do one year for 10 million, eight and a half million dollar prorated signing bonus over five years with four void years, you're looking at a cap hit of less than $3 million. They have 12 in the coffers. They can absolutely afford it. So whatever that price tag is within reason, and like I said, I think that's going to be 8 to 11. The Bucks can afford it. I'm sure they want him back. They want him back in the price range that he truly is valued at. And uh, you know, I think the last thing that I'll kind of say about it, much to what you kind of uh, set me up with there, the Bucks brass, when they say something, they typically follow through on it. You've never really gotten this yeah. double talk from them where they say one thing publicly and then do something completely different. They said they'd leave a light on for Brady. Guess what? They left the light on for Brady. They said they'd love to have Gronk back. The ball's in his court. It really, I, I truly believe if he wants to come back, they're going to make it work. So, Josh, this is where I appreciate you so much, man, with just your knowledge of the cap, because sometimes the cap can be really confusing. Sure. And if for, for anyone, even people that have been covering the team for, you know, a very long time, like someone like Scott has, and I'm not saying Scott doesn't know the cap, but I, I think you get what I'm trying to say, but you do such an awesome job of, I don't know if you watch the office, but there's that infamous scene where Michael's like, explain it to me. Like I'm five. That's essentially <laughs> what you do with the cap, which you are spectacular, spectacular at. And it's funny. You mentioned um, that the, the base salary for next year, if, if he decides to play, they can kind of kick that can down the road with, with yep. void years and deferred money in that sense. They've done that in the past. Like when they signed that new deal with Levante David after they won the Super Bowl, that was a big thing was the void years, void years, the deferred money. Is there ever a point though where, and I understand the Bucks are in win now mode, so yep. they'll worry about the future. If three years from now, they're in a really bad cap situation. Well, it was worth it. They already won a Super Bowl and they contended the next year and hopefully for this year too. I think we all expect them to but is there a point in a couple years from now when all that deferred money is really going to come back to hurt the bucks yes and no i mean it is going to come due. I, I think like a contract like brady's right now next year that one's gonna gonna hurt to a certain extent um but with these smaller deals typically those aren't going to have a huge impact on what a team can and cannot do um so you look at the levante david deal you look at the gronk you know, potential Gronk deal, uh, Nandamika Kansu last year, all of these, they add up a good bit, but with the way that the cap continues to raise um, outside of the, you know, COVID 2020 season, yeah. um, most teams are planning for somewhere. I saw something today on Twitter and, and I would agree with it. Minimum $15 million a year that it's going up. And I would say that's probably closer to the 20 to $25 million a year range. So if the cap continues to build by that much, it's helping to basically pay for some of this dead money that you put into current years. Um, the other thing to keep in mind is by deferring money, you're deferring it to years where the cap is larger. So yes. as a percentage of the cap, it becomes a smaller hit. So I think that the Bucks can still manage it. Are they pushing stuff down? The, is it going to cause them to have to make tough decisions down the line? Yeah, it will. Um, but when you balance that against having the greatest quarterback of all time in potentially his last year with you, you make those sacrifices because the short-term potential greatly outweighs the long-term 
um, ramifications. Yeah, ramifications. I was going to say kind of uncertainty, right? Because you don't know exactly yeah. what's going to happen down the line and, and what your prospects for winning may be down there. So I, I, I've been very impressed with how the Bucks have handled their cap situation. And if I were making the same decision, I absolutely would bring, bring Gronk back. And I definitely would defer a good portion of the salary. Yeah, 100%. And the Bucks have been great, too, at projecting not necessarily future salaries, but yep. projecting markets of players. I think if you look again at this offseason, but before Brady came back and everything like that, but remember, the two big storylines were, what are they going to do with Chris Godwin? Are they going to franchise tag him again? Or are they going to use that franchise tag on Carlton Davis? And they, sure, you're rolling the dice a little bit. It's a little bit of a gamble, but, you know, they were playing blackjack and they got 21 right on, you know, they right did. on the, the first two cards. I mean, they didn't give that franchise tag to Carlton Davis. They got him for a lower value than what the franchise tag would be. And Chris Godwin, they gave him the franchise tag. And then we saw all the humongous, monstrous contracts that yeah. some of the other wide receivers have gotten. So the Bucks played that perfectly. And as you said, with the, with the um, salary cap moving higher and higher as the years move on and, the NFL makes trillions and trillions of dollars every single year with these Amazon deals or what what have it. It's playing right into the hands for the Bucs. And that's another thing, too, is I get mad sometimes when people are like, oh, what are they doing? They're paying this guy too much or, you know, this is going to hurt them in a couple of years. Yo, who cares? Like, it will all be worth It's already been worth it. They won a Super Bowl championship. There were years. And again, I'm all about, like, appreciate the good times when you're in it because – Bucks fans have experienced really bad times. Mm -hmm. You know, there was that span of after the Bucks mm -hmm. won the, their first initial Super Bowl where they didn't make the playoffs for another decade. Those were bad times, people. Those were hard times, as Dusty Rhodes would say, the American dream, RIP Dusty Rhodes. But then you get Tom Brady and you win a Super Bowl. So I don't want to hear, and it's a short window of time. They maybe only have Brady for one more year. This is his third year with the Bucks. Who knows how much he'll, how much more he'll play. But you got to go for it now. You can't be saying what if or, uh, well, why? Like we should have held on to that money and not spend it for later. No, you do it now because you're in a win now mode. I'm sick of hearing we got to worry about it later. Worry about it later when it gets there, all right? Because you're still going to have all the great moments of right now when you know you're going for it, all right? When Brady leaves, we'll have a ton of things to still talk about with quarterbacks and Kyle Trask and Blaine Gabbert, which we'll even talk about later in this episode because we're previewing week two of the OTAs. But we're in a good spot right now. The Bucs are in a great spot. Let's enjoy that. Am I right? Yeah, or am I, wrong? I, I completely agree. I think you always have to have one eye on the future. You have to have yeah. a, a plan in place. But you have to be willing to make trade-offs in terms of your short-term and long-term goals and decide what's more important at any given moment in time and be flexible to make those adjustments. I think the Chargers are a great example, right? They draft Justin Herbert. They were going to redshirt him. Yeah. He ends up playing. He ends up being amazing. And all of a sudden that accelerates their timetable. So they go and accelerate the moves that they want to make to help support him, especially on his rookie deal um, in, in, maximizing that window. So they, they were very flexible there. I think Sam Monson over at PFF said it really great in terms of like, there's a life cycle of fandom, right? Especially in the Bucks fans, I think are, are a perfect microcosm of it, right? For so many years, it was mediocrity at best, right? And then you get Brady coming in and the thought is, okay, we can finally be good. We're going to be a playoff contender. And he accelerated things even by the own the Bucks' own timetable. They said year two was kind of where they were looking at being really a, a Super Bowl contender. Year one, they were definitely going to be a lot more relevant. 
everything accelerated into year one. And as a fan, you get used to that. And you say, okay, this becomes the expectation now. We're always going to be good. We're always going to be playoff contenders. So now we need to make decisions that allow us to continue to be there. That's not necessarily the case. There are very few teams that consistently are going to be playoff contenders or Super Bowl contenders. Very, very few. Um, For the rest of the teams, it's when you get your window, do everything you can to, to maximize it and then see where you're at once that window kind of closes and see how fast you can get it reopened. It's not about keeping the window open. I think uh, Scott and I kind of were going back and forth on that today in our Pewter Report text thread in terms of, you know, you can build a playoff contender or you can build a Super Bowl contender. Most fans want that Super Bowl contender. These moves help the Bucks stay to be a Super Bowl contender this year. Of course, and I think they would still have a Super Bowl roster outside of if they lose Tom Brady when you look at everyone else that they have. Yep on that team. And I think you make a great point too, that, you know, all these teams are building towards something better. When you have that window, yeah, go for it. And then after that, you can reassess. And, you know, the teams that do stay great for a prolonged period of time, that's why they're hall of famers and considered, you know, some of the best in the league. It's extremely difficult to do. I want to give a shout out here to Leo for the $2 super chat. Thank you, Leo. (laughs) Gronk doesn't want to do train. Gronk just doesn't want to do training camp. You know what? I don't really blame him. I wouldn't say training camp. I would say, even though it is kind of brutal in the summers here in Tampa, like I would, I lose, I'm, I'm kind of chubby as it is, but like, I just lose so much water weight just from being out of training camp. I kind of don't mind it. You know, it looks better. Also for anyone that uh, doesn't always love how they look, if you wear black, it makes you look slimmer. So there's a little pro tip you uh, for you, but no, I'm, I'm kind of with what Leo is saying here. And I agree with Gronk too. I remember, when Brett Favre was in the middle of his, you know, Will I'm going to retire, I want to play, I'm retired, oh, I want to keep playing. He didn't sign until, like, late in the summer. And I think Gronk should do the same thing. Like, why go through OTAs if you don't have to? Like, the man, like if he signs right now, he has to be at mandatory OTAs in two weeks. I don't think he really wants to do that. Like, why not milk it for as much as you can? You know, he's a longtime veteran, 33 years old, future Hall of Famer, multiple Super Bowls. He can just show up at training camp and be ready to go. Sure, he's going to need like a week or two to go and get ready. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's he's done this before, okay? He's yeah. not reinventing the wheel. He's playing football. He did it after a year away from the game. I think a couple months, Gronk will be fine. Yeah, he knows the offense. He knows the installs. He knows what his body needs to be ready. Um, I think the only thing maybe he loses out on, you know, by not doing OTAs is – uh, building up some camaraderie with what will be a, a fairly new tight end room. Um, but other than that, he, he'll be ready to go if he chooses to stay. Yeah, 100%. Uh, one last thing I want to talk about with the Gronk and Tom Brady playing baseball, whatever it is. Actually, two things with Tom Brady. One, you have to imagine that he was throwing some footballs over there too, whether it was in the Bucks facility, because remember, he wasn't at OTAs, but he was in phase two of the Bucks offseason training program at the facility. We saw the pictures, so this is documented. This isn't speculation. So you would have to imagine he was throwing some footballs when you're literally a block away yeah. from where all the Bucks are practicing. If Even if he did it at Yankee Stadium, that's fine. So he's throwing footballs. He's swinging the baseball bat. And he's got his golf torn, his golf matchup with uh, his teammate Aaron Rodgers going up against Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen. This guy is, I mean, move over Bo Jackson, Deion Sanders. This guy is a three sport. 
athlete and potentially playing even more. I mean, we saw him playing basketball a couple weeks ago. Uh, he's big into uh, not motocross, but the it was just in F- Miami. The the F one. Yes, the F one. So yeah. this guy's just trying to play every sport that he possibly can. Not to mention he went over to England uh, as the Glazers guest for you know, English football. Yes, that's true. And then also, too, I don't know if you saw in the video, but it looked like shout out to uh, Carmen Vitale, who's with the Draft Network now. She was the the Bucks team reporter for for quite a while. Uh, she first noticed it where Brady had like the quarterback wristband <laughs> right on his wrist as he was <laughs> as he was swinging the bat. So. I mean, this guy is as locked in and dialed in as he could possibly be. That's why you would have to think that he was throwing right before that because he's looking at the plays and like, all right, I'll just keep it on, start swinging. I have a different theory on that. With baseball these days, shifts are so big. I think that he had the scouting report on his own hitting and he was shifting the defense for himself right there. (laughs) This guy is always just analyzing and processing everything. Um but if you want to analyze and process things that will be better for you, um, that means you have to get on the Celsius program here. As you see, the Peter Report podcast is energized by Celsius. And the great thing about this energy drink is that there are multiple reasons. Just as we've talked about that Russell Gage is versatile as a receiver, Celsius is versatile as an energy drink. I personally really like Celsius because of all the variety of flavors that they have. As you see there, the sparkling orange tastes fantastic. I'm rocking the uh, sparkling strawberry lemonade, a newer flavor, at least for me, that I've tried. You got the mango, the watermelon. Josh, what'd you have again? So this is my first time trying mango passion fruit, and it is definitely going to be a part of the rotation now. Awesome. Yeah, there you go. And they have colas, Arctic vibes. Like literally every single week, it feels like that they're coming out with a new brand. So this drink is so good. It's sure you get it for the energy, but it's just a tasty drink. So you could just enjoy it with, if you don't even need the energy, but that's the other half of Celsius is that you are getting the fuel that you need to get through your day, whether it's a busy work day, a long drive, you're doing a podcast, you're playing a game later, you're going to work out. That's what Celsius provides to you. And on top of that, you don't get the post drink jitters. You don't get that crash that you get with other energy drinks, you know, as the day goes on, it's all up and up, but there's none of that, that crash. There's not that plateau. There's no peaks and valleys. All right. You're just keep going up and up and up and up and up. So uh, shout out to Celsius for being a sponsor of the Peter report podcast. And you can get them everywhere too. Uh, as we see here, the tropical vibe, peach vibe and Arctic vibe. Some of the best ones out there. You can go to your local gas station, Local chain stores by you, uh, bodegas, they have it all over there. You can also go to Amazon and order it online there. And you can set up the delivery where you can get it every week, every two weeks. I guess you get it every day, too. But if you're buying in bulk, you'd, your house would be, like, flooded with uh, with Celsius. It would almost be like Harry Potter when they try to send him the envelope to go. Oh, that's and, right. And <laughs> to invite him to Hogwarts in the first place. And then his uncle is, like, shutting down all the doors and they still keep coming. That could be your house with Celsius if you would like that, but you could set up a plan there. So make sure you check them out on Amazon. And of course, too, Celsius Fast Brands, their their, uh, energy bars are, you know, again, everything with the flavor tastes just like it is as advertised. They got cookies and cream. They got peanut butter. And, you know, it's a a great substitute if you're on the go. Maybe you didn't get to have breakfast in the morning and trying to get to work. 
bam, you have one of those, you're energized, you're good to go. It doesn't crumble in your hand like other energy drinks. So make sure you go to Celsius.com, click on the store locator to find where uh, Celsius is near you. Because whether it's the bars or the the, uh, energy drinks, there is one near you. So shout out to Celsius Energy. All right, Josh, we are going to talk about now, well, you know what? The floor is yours. We could start previewing Bucks OTAs week two. Or there was a lot of discussion yesterday about uh, Julio Jones, whether or not Julio Jones should sign with the Bucks. What kind of price would he get? What kind of price should they pay for him? Yeah, let's go with that direction. Then we'll end with uh, the Bucks OTA preview. You heard from me and Scott yesterday, but I always like to hear another voice. I always like to get another opinion. In your hypothesis, this isn't even really a hypothesis, in your <laughs> expert opinion, would you sign Julio Jones to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers if it is possible, which it is possible? Yeah, I, I think adding him to the team only deepens the receiving core. And we've seen over two of the last three years that um, a deep receiving core is essential to the success of this offense. Uh, so I'm all for adding Julio Jones under two caveats. Number one, the price is right. Um I think I wouldn't go over $5 million. And again, there'd probably be some proration to that. Um, the second would be an understanding that he's, he's number four, right? You know, you just signed Russell Gage to a fairly long-term deal. He's an ascending player. Julio is a descending player. Mm-hmm. And I want to make sure that I would want to make sure that the snap counts reflect that. So, but as a number four, as insurance, as somebody to help get you through the first few games of the season, if Godwin's not ready to go right during week one, as somebody who can get you through the end of a game, if somebody else goes down, uh, I think he's, he's an amazing addition and he certainly solidifies the receiving group. And I think I've said this before, if Julio becomes your four, now you're looking at Tyler Johnson, Scotty Miller, Cyril Grayson, Rashard Perryman, all, and Jalen Darden. I almost forgot about him. I hope the Bucks do too. Um, <laughs> oh, that's mean. That's I mean. Know. He's only a second-year player. Come on. I know. I know. I, I truly do hope that he has an improved second season. Um, but all of those players then move down one slot. And, and you know, Scotty Miller as a five is probably one of the best fives in the league, right? As a four, he may not be the best four. Uh, and so on and so forth. You could do that with each one of those players. So, um, so I'd be for it, you know, as long as the price is right and the understanding in terms of his role on the team is um, understood as well. You know, we, we've seen where a receiver becomes um, disgruntled at his perceived uh, peck, uh, spot on the pecking order. We wouldn't mm-hmm. want to see that happen again. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head where, first of all, if Julio comes in here and he's your number four, it has to be established that he's the number four. He he's, can't be taking away snaps from Russell Gage, um, whether or not Chris Godwin is healthy or not, too. But I think if he comes in and he's at number four, I think it just makes the depth look that much better in terms of, you're right, Scotty is good as a five. Scotty's not the best plan if he's going to be a four. Same with Jalen Darden, who I am higher on than most people, I think, just because I think – he deserves more slack for being a second-year player coming from a, a smaller school. And I also think that that's going to be great, too. You know, we talked about guys like uh, Jared Stearns out of Western Kentucky. 
not the ideal prototypical receiver that the Bucks like, but a, a player that you know shown some spark. Nope. Speaking on of spark, second. yeah, you're good. I'll just keep talking. Yeah, Jared Stearns is obviously a guy that um, provided a spark, as I just said, in the Bucks rookie mini camp and OTAs as well too. A fast guy that could compete for a uh, you know returner type of situation. You also have Devin Tompkins uh, from Utah State there. A little bit taller, of course, maybe still not what exactly Tampa Bay is looking for, but a guy that was shorthanded, I thought did well, was solid in Bucks rookie minicamp and didn't do anything to, you know, deter that in his, you know, in his first OTA. So I just think getting Julio in at the four spot, it makes everyone else move down uh, just a tick, but it makes it work like that much better if you get Julio in there. And I think ultimately it will come down to, does, is Julio okay with trying to win a ring and accepting his role, or does he want to go and be, you know, the top guy, number one or number two seed, whether it's uh, or receiver, I should say, whether that's with, you know, Green Bay or Dallas. We talked a lot about how Dallas – or, sorry, Green Bay might not work the best because um, it's a cold-weather team. He has a ton of hamstring issues, and injuries have really been the name of the game for Julio over the past two years. Yeah, I think it'll be interesting where he chooses. I think for most people, it's a foregone conclusion. He's going to play this upcoming year, and he really gets to decide where he plays, and I think where he chooses will really will show what's important to him at this stage in his career. He's made a boatload of money. So um, is, it, is it the status symbol in terms of where he is on the pecking order, or is it the best chance to win a ring? And then what'll be very interesting is based on where he chooses, some may say, well, he's, he's not prioritizing the ring, while others may say he is. Green Bay is a perennial, you know, at least conference championship. Contender. Well, their, divi- their division stinks. <laughs> like, let's be realistic. Their division it, stinks, but... It very much does, which gives them a great opportunity at being one of the final, you know, six, eight, I'm sorry, 16 teams in, in, in the playoffs, right? And once you get yeah. there, it, it, to a certain degree, it's a crapshoot. Yeah, but you could also argue that this is a great opportunity for the Bucs where they could beat up on their division. We all, we've talked about how tough the Bucs schedule is. I believe your last appearance on the show was the Bucs schedule release. <laughs> but the one thing they got going for them is the fact that their division is not that good outside of, we'll see what's up with the Saints, all right? Some people are expecting the Saints to do pretty well and compete for a playoff spot. Other people think the Saints are going to stink just like the Falcons are and just like the Carolina Panthers are. So, But either way you look at it, there's a pretty direct path to the playoffs with the Bucs as much as there is with the, the Packers or even the Cowboys for that matter too. I mean, the Giants are such an odd team because they have like a lot of skill players on offense. They just haven't had quarterback figured out yet and yeah. they helped their offensive line this year and – their secondary is pretty good. They didn't really have a great front seven, but obviously they addressed that in the draft. Washington, again, is like all over the place. Sometimes they look like a good team that deserves to make the playoffs. Other times they don't even look like an NFL team. They're very all over the place. And the same with the Eagles. You know, they just made the playoffs last year too. So I think if you look around the NFC, I would still say Green Bay has the easiest path just because of, you know, you look at the Bears and the Vikings and the Lions. But the Bucs aren't that far off with the Saints and the you know Falcons and the Panthers. So, so it'll be up to Julio Jones. It will. I think the one thing that, you know, as you say this, it really kind of clarifies for me. I think he's choosing an NFC team. 
Because when you talk about a clear path to the playoffs, you you basically kind of know within a team or two who's going to most likely make the playoffs from the NFC. The AFC is the wild, wild west. And he could choose a team that looks amazing. And just because they're all beating up on each other, there's a chance that some of the best teams in the AFC may not even make the playoffs this year. So I would be surprised if he ended up in the AFC. Yeah, especially to... I feel like Kansas City could find a role for him, definitely. And I think that would be quite interesting. But I feel like most of us are pretty much penciling in Bill's Chiefs, what is it, round three in the playoffs? <laughs> they obviously had their crazy game last year. I think that would be uh, an awesome AFC championship. Uh, another thing that is awesome is if everyone in here could please subscribe to Peter Report TV, hit the thumbs up, hit the like button, because what you're doing by hitting the thumbs up, like button, whatever it's called. I think it's both. So either way, you know, tomato, tomato. Uh, you're helping with Peter Report's algorithm. All right. So we're at um, about 8,400 subscribers right now. We're on the way to 9K. We want to get to 10K by right around when uh, training camp time gets here. And you'd be really helping us out by hitting that like button. Helps with our algorithm. It helps other people find out about Peter Report, PeterReport.com, Peter Report TV with our uh, YouTube channel. We've been posting a lot more videos now, too. It's not just the podcast. It's the podcast clips. I understand, you know, the, these shows usually go 45 minutes to an hour. Not everyone wants to sit for an hour and watch an entire show. So we've been cutting up a lot of clips, a lot of shorter segments that you can watch, get straight to the point. Oh, I want to hear about Gronk. Oh, I want to hear about Julio Jones, Tom Brady, Mike Evans, whoever it may be. We got a lot of that. We got a lot of short videos, too, whether it's Todd Bowles making a joke about Tom Brady, whether it's hearing from Zion McCollum and Rashad White. Anytime we're at the Bucks facility, we're getting a ton of video, a ton of coverage, and we're putting it all on our YouTube channel. So you hit that like button, subscribe to us. It doesn't cost anything, just gives you a notification about when we're going live, when we have stuff up. We'd really appreciate if you can go and do that. So make sure you hit that like and subscribe button to help out PeterReport.com. And of course, Thank you, Tony D. Two thumbs up right there. Of course, PeterReport.com will be at the Bucks facility tomorrow for week two of Bucks OTAs. Myself, Scott Reynolds, I believe J.C. Allen will be there too. We will be there live and in person, of course, talking about it on tomorrow's podcast as well. But, you know, let's set the table here for Bucks OTAs week two. Uh I guess the first question really is whether or not we're going to have Tom Brady there. My guess would still be no, just based on what, you know, quarterbacks coach Clyde Christensen has talked about in the sense of we're putting an emphasis on getting Kyle Trask as many reps as he possibly can, which at first, too, I thought he was going to get everything. And then it's like, oh, there's Blaine Gabbert. So we saw a lot of Kyle Trask and Blaine Gabbert in week one. And I really thought, too, that. Trask was the more aggressive of the two. And I still think, you know, this is going to be Blaine Gabbard's job, whether fans like it or not. Blaine's the number two quarterback, even though Kyle Trask wears the number two. But Trask, I thought there was a lot of good and bad, but that's fine for OTAs in his red shirt year. I know it's his second year, but, he, you know, he still never really got all the looks that you really want to get. Scott pointed out a, a great thing that he picked up on is that Kyle Trask could drive the ball to the right side of the field. He was hitting timely routes with the corners all over the receivers and still completing the passes to the sideline. It was when Kyle Trask went to his left. And when he went deep, he really had issues there. 
had a little trouble with the deep ball, but ended on a great note with your boy, Jalen Darden, throwing it deep. <laughs> Darden makes the catch uh, for a huge touchdown, probably the highlight of the day. So I'm looking to see if Trask can keep that aggressiveness going. And for Gabbard, I want to see Gabbard. He pretty much all he did is he took what the defense gave him. It was a lot of short, intermediate routes. When he's decided to go deep, that's again when he got into trouble, had two turnovers in the game or in the practice session. Kyle Trask only had one. I'd like to see if Gabbert's going to push the envelope a little bit more and if Kyle Trask can stay aggressive in that sense. But nonetheless, they're both going to get a ton of reps, and it's just a matter of uh, you know who's going to get the better of it, whether it's the defense, are they going to get some more turnovers, or does Kyle Trask take that next step and Blaine keeps doing what Blaine does, which is be one of the top backup quarterbacks in the league. Yeah, I think for me, the the two things that I'd be looking for, one for each of them is with Trask, especially because there's been so much conversation over his position on the depth chart and what that means for his development in season, right? So with, mm. with Blaine being the two, Trask's best opportunity to get reps in is as the scout team quarterback, which means he's, you, he's executing someone else's playbook. So what I'm hoping to see from Trask and OTAs is his how much of the playbook is he able to master and is he making the right decisions on each play, right? Is he making the right reads? Is he progressing through the, the is he going through the progressions um, effectively and finding the right player on the choice routes, the option routes? Is he reading the defense the same way that the receiver is and making the right call there? Those are the things that you're hoping to see from Kyle Trask. I think with Gabbert, he knows the system. You know that is the big selling point. Uh, Bruce Arians brought it up almost exclusively every time somebody brought up Gabbert. <laughs> is he, nobody else has been in this system long longer than he has. So for me, it's more me what I'm looking for from him is what do the mechanics look like? How accurate is he um, in terms of the ball placement when he's throwing two receivers? I think those are going to be the big things for him if we have to see him in a inopportune role in terms of he has to go in because Brady went down this year. Those are the things that I'm hoping that he's improving on in terms of his uh, ball placement and accuracy. I'm hoping we get some Blaine Gabbard playing time this year, but it's only because the Bucks are up, you know, 45 points and he's going to get into the game. Kind of like very similar to, it was around Christmas time. It was definitely late December, maybe early January, but, uh, the year the Bucs won the Super Bowl when they played the Lions. I believe yeah. it was the second to last game of the season. And they just torched them in the first half. Brady didn't even play in the second half. That's how that's how dominating the game was. And yeah, Gabbard Detroit didn't have their coaching staff because and of COVID. Stafford got hurt like very early in the yep. game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, got, he got hurt pretty early. And yeah, Gabbert went in, had two touchdowns, threw one of them to Gronk. I believe one was to Gronk and one was to Mike Evans. I could yep. be wrong. Both of those are correct. Yep. So that's actually something I'm interested in for tomorrow's practice is, and again, these are OTAs. These are optional. No one has to be there. Uh, no one's required to. So it's not a big deal who was there and who wasn't there. For the first practice, though, there was, uh, I would say, a significant amount of players. I thought overall there was a great turnout, but there was a lot of like noticeable players that weren't there for obviously different reasons and obviously all understandable reasons. Like Mike Evans... Again, we said on the podcast yesterday, Mike Evans and his wife, Ashley, just had a kid. Congratulations to them. That is awesome. That so is Mike amazing. Evans isn't going to be at practice. Like, he's got to tend to his family. There's always a ton of different reasons 
why players aren't there. But I think we're going to see more guys at this week of practice that maybe weren't there the week before. I mean, we've already seen videos of uh, Donovan Smith was there literally the next day after the media was there. And uh, Devin White was posting videos of his Instagram. He was reposting videos that the Bucks took of him, you know, working on drills and practice. So I think we'll see Devin White. I know Shaq Barrett was at the Lightning game the other night. He was there. Uh, they do like social media captains and stuff like that. Or maybe they were just showing an appearance. But Shaq Barrett was there. Mm-hmm. By the way, go Boats. Yeah. Swept, swept the Florida the Panthers. Panthers. Yep. Panthers stink. Whether they're in football or hockey, they stink. <laughs> Lightning dominated them. Never in doubt. So I'm pumped for them. Shout out to the Lightning for sweeping the, uh, I keep wanting to say Carolina Panthers, but the the Florida Panthers. But nonetheless, I think Shaq Barrett will be there uh, at practice tomorrow, I would imagine, since he's in town. If you're in town, then what are you doing anyway? So I think we'll see a better turnout there, too. Again, some of the other guys that were missing, Russell Gage wasn't there, Leonard Fournette was not in attendance, and Carlton Davis. I would imagine, I don't know if all of them are going to be back, but I would imagine some of the guys that we listed off, I think, will be there. But, Josh, I'll ask you, is there any position in particular that you're most interested in terms of competitions or players where you think they might line up? Is there is there any one place that you're really looking at more intently than others? Yeah, I think the secondary is is a big one, right? Because you have two free agent off, um, additions yeah. in the form of Logan Ryan and um, Keanu Neal. And – how are they going to be integrated into the secondary, right? Both of them technically play safety. Um, both of them have some positional versatility. Neil uh, uh, played linebacker for Dallas last year. And Logan Ryan has played all throughout the secondary over the course of his career. Um, I've got a, uh, I'm just shamelessly plugging today. I've got a grinding the, <laughs> grinding the tape coming up tomorrow morning. Uh, and it's actually on Logan Ryan and, and looking at, where does he feel most comfortable? Where does he look most comfortable? Where can he contribute the most in, in the Bucks defense? So you look at both of those guys, they're coming in, they're going to play a role. It's really what role are they going to play? Because we do have incumbents uh, in Mike Edwards at uh, safety and Sean Murphy bump, bunting in the nickel. And how does that all shake out is really interesting to me. Um is there going to be a true competition? Do the newcomers have a real opportunity to unseat the, uh, the, the holdovers and how much competition is going to be there? And how does Todd Bowles, you know, are there going to be different personnel groupings and how does that all shake out? That is probably the most interesting thing for me. Uh, and then of course the battle at left guard, uh, Luke Gadecki, is he going to uh, get first team reps or are those going to continue to go to Aaron Stinney and is it really just a two-man race? Or, I mean, the Bucks have built a ton of guard depth. It's unproven guard depth. Um, but a lot of guys who can bring different skill sets into that left guard role, uh, Nick Leverett, uh, Rob uh, Hainsey, you've got a lot of different guys who potentially could try and make a play for that left guard role. Yeah, and of course, that decision will be made by the man you see on the screen here, Todd Bowles. And I'm glad that you started talking about the secondary and the safeties position. And I was going to say too, when you were finishing up your point that that's definitely the biggest story on the defensive side of the ball, in my opinion. And I guess your opinion too, because you just pointed it out. And then I was going to say, I think the biggest competition or storyline, what have you may outside of whether Gronk's coming back is 
the offensive line at left guard with Gadecki and Stinney and guys like that. So I'm glad that you brought up both of them. I'll start with the safeties. We've talked about this a little bit. I really think this is going to be for multiple reasons. One, that it's a contract year, but I am very excited for Mike Edwards this season. I really think Mike Edwards is going to come into his own. We already know the, you know, the, the flashes of, of him, of getting all the interceptions, being a ball hawk on this team. Three interceptions last year, two pick sixes, and then an interception in the playoffs as well, too. So really, four interceptions on the year. We know what he can do in pass coverage, or at least getting his hands on the ball. I think the Bucs want to see him get a little bit better, of course, just in staying with this man, not allowing the deep play, which is a staple of a Todd Bowles defense. And sure, there's. There, I think the big question, too, is with Keanu Neal. Um, is Neil going to be the backup just for Mike Edwards? Are they going to move him around a little bit? And same with Logan Ryan. I really see Logan Ryan, in my opinion, taking over for Sean Murphy Bunting at, at some point. I don't, I'm not rooting against Sean Murphy Bunting by any means. I just think the way things have gone, we'll see if SMB can pick it up this year. I think he's a guy too, um, that you could put a little bit of a, a red shirt type of year on last season because he got hurt and even the year before too he was saying that he played with like i think he might have said he played with two dislocated thumbs or something like that during the like during the super bowl run right so he's a guy that just needs to focus on staying healthy he's obviously younger and is going to get the job first but i yeah i look at neil and ryan as just you know security policies that will get in and i think make contributions to the team but maybe not as a starter I think Logan Ryan definitely has a quicker avenue to see the field and be a full-time starter. And I think the Bucs would be okay with that too. Like if any of these guys come in and get the lion's share of the rep, the bulk of the reps, I don't think they're going to really have too much of an issue with that. On the other side with the offensive line, we already saw Aaron Stinney. He got the first rep of snaps with, with the, with the number ones that were there. Ryan Jensen was there. Shaq Mason was there. Tristan Wirfs was in attendance as well too. So they're already working with a lot of the offensive line. And I think that was the right thing to do too. I mean, at the end of the day, I think we're all very excited to see what Gadecki can do, but he's a rookie. Yep. So you can't just hand him the keys. He's, it's not like he was a top 10 pick. You know, he was their second, second round pick. So I think Stinney, especially what he did in the playoffs, he went in, helped the Bucs win a Super Bowl. It pretty much went seamless in the, in the transition. So I think he at least deserves to get the first look, the first reps. And there's a very long way to go. And I think, again, two OTAs, they're not even, you know, in full pants or anything like that. So I don't think we're going to get too much from the offensive line. But with that said, you know, Gadecki went in there and started mixing it up. He was pushing people. He was he was really getting in the mix as much as he possibly can. So I really do think that those are the two most exciting positions to really to go and watch for this upcoming uh, OTAs and leading into training camp. Yeah, uh, I'll go back to the secondary one because one that, that's kind of become apparent to me that I think is, is an interesting dynamic when you look at the Bucks losing Jordan Whitehead. You know, you definitely lost somebody who was extremely stout in run defense. Um, Mike Edwards is not a traditional strong safety. He's not somebody who's known for his run defense. And so you're going to lose a little bit there. But when you talk about complementary skill sets, um, if Logan Ryan were to win the slot corner job, He's a really good run defender from the slot. Yeah. And so some of what you lose 
from going Jordan Whitehead to Mike Edwards at the strong safety position, you're going to make up for that in terms of Ryan's ability to hold the edge and mm -hmm. to prevent some outside zone stuff and to beat wide receivers and even some tight ends um, in terms of trying to block him and, and get into the backfield. The other thing that's really cool about Logan Ryan is he's really good at blitzing from the slot. So he brings some skill sets that we haven't seen from Sean Murphy bunting yet. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that those as a complementary skill set, in addition to Mike Edwards' playmaking ability on the back end, really can unlock some things as well as give uh, Antoine Winfield the junior the opportunity to to be a little bit more of a versatile you know Swiss Army knife, if you will. So I'm I'm excited for hopefully that pairing and for those two to kind of win those jobs. Um, and so that's kind of what I'm looking forward to. There. Yeah, I think if fully healthy, this Bucks will be back towards, you know, the type of defense that they were when they won the Super Bowl in 2020. And if they're getting that style of defense, I really just think where they can make the next step is creating more turnovers. I think that was a bit of an issue last year. We talked about a lot how how great Carlton Davis is, but he needs to make that next step with getting more interceptions or Antoine Winfield Jr. He's a pro bowl player. He just made his first pro bowl this year. Can he get to all pro? How is he going to do that? Creating more turnovers, forcing more fumbles, you know, intercepting the ball even more than he already has. So I, I like what you said about Edwards too. I forgot to bring that up where, yeah, you're missing that where Jordan Whitehead was great at, in terms of playing in the box, stopping the run, getting those tackles for a loss, being a heat seeking missile. Edwards doesn't have to, you know, lay everyone out every single player that he hits. But if he can be stout enough in the run game, plus add that element of taking the ball away that we haven't really seen as much with someone like Whitehead, I think that's going to be huge. And as you said, you make great points about Ryan too, what he can do differently than SMB and some of the other corners that they had there. And we all know Todd Bowles loves, you know, players in the secondary as well too, especially versatile guys that can play safety and the corner position too. So I really think Ryan going to have a big role, a huge role on this team, a gigantic role, some would say. And um, if you were to bet on whether it's going to be Ryan or Neil that eventually gets a starting job, the best place to bet on that would be at mybookie.ag, as you see on the graphic here. Folks, even though we're not in football season, there's still a lot to bet on. There's playoff hockey, as we just talked about the Bolts. There's playoff football, uh, not football. Well, there's playoff football, soccer. There's playoff uh, basketball. They got golf every week. The PGA Championship was awesome. Justin Thomas came back from seven strokes down and won in a playoff. And then coming up this week is the Charles Schwab Championship. So there's always some golf to bet on. That starts Thursday and goes through Sunday. And, of course, there's baseball season as well, too. And 162 games of the baseball season can feel like a grind to watch. I understand. But you could put the excitement back into each and every game with my bookie. There's run lines, money lines, props galore, first inning, no runs. My favorite bet, as I've talked about. Nobody gives you more opportunities to win than my bookie. Getting started is simple. Deposit up to $300 and play with $150 instantly. Just use promo code Pewter to claim a my bookie deposit bonus. Whether you're a diehard fan or a newcomer to the sport, there's never been a better time to join the my bookie family. Go ahead and sign up today using promo code Pewter to secure your first deposit bonus up to $1,000 with MyBookie. Whatever you put in, they'll meet halfway, all the way up to $1,000. Bet anything, anytime, anywhere 
with my bookie. That's mybookie.ag. And again, you got the Charles Schwab Championship cut up this week. Just uh, Justin Thomas is playing in this one as well, too. We'll see if he can go two in a row after winning the PGA Championship, which again was an awesome tournament. I don't know. Are, are you are you a golf fan at all, Josh? Do you pay attention to any of that? I like playing. I, I'm not big on watching it, but I was going to yeah. say something else to bet on at uh, my bookie would be um, the, the Preakness was just this last weekend. So early voting went off for five, I think five to one. And I want to say the Belmont's coming up not too, uh, yeah, not too Bel- distant future. Yeah, Belmont one is, uh, is an event that I'm a, pretty familiar with just growing up in that area. So I know people love to, uh, to get excited for that one. Want to take some questions from the, uh, the fans here. I saw one of us asking about the, what record we think the bucks will have um, early on in the season. Just want to get the person's name, give them the shout out going up there. Oh yeah. Uh, Patricia. Shout out, Patricia. Thanks for the comment. Says, what's the Bucks record going to be going into week five? Anyone? Bueller? All right, we got to you. So uh, <laughs> shout out Ferris Bueller. Great movie. I personally think they're going to be two and two. Um, it's going to take a little bit for them to right the ship. I think they start out beating Dallas. Then they're going to lose in the House of Horrors that have has been New Orleans. I don't think they get over the hump just yet. And again, it's early in the season. They're still working out the kinks. I think eventually they will right the wrongs of playing against New Orleans later in the season. I see them beating up on Green Bay, much similar to how it went uh, the last time the Packers came to Tampa. Again, one less weapon that they have to deal with. And Green Bay, over the past couple of years, has struggled earlier in the season than then picked it up later on. And um, <clears throat> Kansas City looking for revenge with the Bucs. I, I see them avenging that Super Bowl loss there. So I see two and two, Josh. I don't know. Yeah, it, it's kind of cool. Let's call back the last time you and I were on together when we did yeah. the, uh, the schedule show. So I, I was a bit more optimistic. I think you and I ended up with the same full full season schedule. I had yeah. the Bucks going three and one in the first four weeks. I, I also think that week two in New Orleans is is scary. Um, if you're a Bucks fan or if you're the Bucks, uh, and I had them taking an L there, but I had them winning the, you know, the Dallas game. I had them winning. Uh, Green Bay, and I had them winning against Kansas City. Because if you look at Todd Bowles' history against Kansas City, there was one bad half against Tyreek Hill. Yep. <laughs> he ain't there no more. So I, I think that the Bowles will have um, you know, a good game plan against Kansas City, and I think they come out of that one with a win. So three and one in the first four weeks, and I think uh, Bucks fans are going to be feel, feel really good if that turns out to be w- what happens. MN7Miami says, who do you think has the most interceptions in the Bucks secondary this year? Josh, I'll let you go first since you're the guest. Uh, my head says Antoine Winfield Jr., but my heart says Jamel Dean. Ooh, don't make a scene. Yeah. So I think, you know, I think he would be targeted a little bit more as the number two. Um, and I think that he shows up and especially because he, like Mike Edwards is also in a contract year. And I think he, uh, really shows out. I'm going to go. I already talked about him and I don't think it's going to come as, sho- as a shock to anyone, but I, I really do think it's going to be Mike Evans. As you just said, uh, Mike Evans, Mike Edwards, if Mike Evans played safety. He'd be pretty damn good. I think he has an interception in the pro bowl when he played there, but Mike Edwards, again, just, you know, the top ball Hawk on this team. 
He led the team in interceptions playing a fraction of the snaps. So mm-hmm. I can only imagine if he gets to play the majority of the snaps, how much more he can really have his impact and imprint on this team. Josh, I want to get back to our you know OTAs coverage a little bit too. Um, we talked about the biggest competitions coming up for this year with the secondary and the offensive line. But I think another position that um, we talked about a little bit, a, a position that we should keep an eye on. It might not have a direct impact or correlation for the Bucks early in the season, but they still need to figure out who the fourth outside linebacker is going to be. And I also am very interested to see uh, on the offensive side of the ball, we talked a lot about the receivers, so I don't really think we have to get too much in detail about Scotty and Jalen and, and Stearns. Like, we already talked about them. But the running back room, it's pretty much all set. They could bring in another veteran, and Kenyon Barner will be there, too. He's mostly in a uh, you know special teams role as a returner, played there a little bit, too. But I'm curious about what the lineup of the running backs is going to be. Does Rashad White play well enough in OTAs and training camp to already earn the number two position? Does he win the third position? Does Keyshawn Vaughn surprise all of us and, you know, earn the number two spot and be that compliment to Leonard Fournette? Which one interests you more, the outside linebacker or the running back position, and how do you see it playing out? Uh, the one that interests me more is probably the running back. Um, I I think just based on early returns, Rashad White probably wins. The, I'll say the backup running back, like the number two spot, um, but with a caveat that – I think this team showed that they're not really interested in Giovanni Bernard getting a ton of snaps as a running back. I think he, at least early in the season, continues to be that third down, um, you know, uh, long and late type situations, spelling Leonard Fournette. But I could see Rashad White winning kind of who comes in on the third series of the game. That's typically where Rojo would come in and give Leonard Fournette a spell. I think Rashad White kind of wins that over Keyshawn Vaughn. That would be my early betting. Um, uh, then for the outside linebacker, yeah, I think that, that that's going to be an interesting one because right now I guess we would pencil in Cam Gill, right, as kind of the number four guy. And uh, he has a very limited and specific skill set. He's a very quick win on the edge um, pass rusher. He's pretty undersized for that position. And if you get into a situation where Shaq goes down or where um, Joe Tryon Shoyinka goes down, he's going to end up getting a lot of snaps. And can he hold up against bigger tackles uh, and bigger tight ends in in a more extended role? It's an interesting one. I love him as a fifth guy where you bring him in on very specific Uh uh, situations late in the game. You're up by a lot and you just say, just go get him, right? Um, But you put him into run defense, you put him – you put him where he's going to play a little bit more, um, have to play some inside gaps and things like that. It may be a little bit tougher for him. Yeah. No, another outside linebacker that's going to be competing for that fourth spot is Andre Anthony. He was the the Bucks late round pick, uh, the seventh round, I believe uh, towards the end of the draft. And I really like Cam Gill. He's got a great first step. He's got really good speed. He obviously had that half sack in yep. the Super Bowl. but Gill and Anthony too. I think they just fall into those spots where they're just, they're not big enough to play consistently where, yes, as you said, you put them in that spot situation where you just got to get it to the quarterback. That's all you have to worry about. Yeah, I think either of them could be okay. Uh, Anthony showed a little bit of pass rushing prowess before he got hurt with a season-ending injury um, at, at LSU. But he, he has some decent pass rushing moves, you know, which I think is important too because 
The one thing that concerns me with any defensive tackle or edge rusher in this case is if you can win on a bull rush in college, that's great. You're supposed to, if you're, if you're going to get drafted, you know, you're going to overpower a lot of these guys. But when you get to the NFL, that's just, isn't the same case. All right. These offensive linemen are big and strong. Like if you just go up with to them one-on-one and you don't have a secondary move, you're not going to get to the quarterback. And that's obviously your main job. So while I'm interested in watching both of them, the size really concerns me. And as great as the pass rushing can be, if you're going to be on the field for a majority of the time, and again, this is a situation where, you know, Shaq is hurt or JTS is hurt, something along those lines. They're not going to get a ton of playing time. But if they do, I think teams are going to run right at them nonstop. And I understand the Bucs have a very talented defense and can game plan for that, maybe bring a corner up or whatever it may be. Todd Bowles obviously have a plan in place. Yeah, as far as the running backs go, Bernard, while he's mostly been the third running back, obviously there was the injuries last year too. And I don't know if we fully saw the impact that we wanted from Bernard, even when he was healthy. Like, I go yeah. back to the, the regular season game against the Rams. He actually got hurt late in that game after he scored a touchdown. That was but the you flip, didn't... right? Yes, the flip. But that that's the point I was going to make is I didn't really see the – the benefit of Bernard or what we wanted to get from Bernard until it was like late in the game out of reach. You know, I wouldn't say garbage time because the Bucs were in every single game, but I want to see Bernard make those impact plays when, you know, it's a tie game where the Bucs have the lead. I don't really think we got the full effect of Gio Bernard. So I do think he's going to be the third or the third down running back and have that role. I would just like to see just a tad bit more of, of the Giovanni Bernard that we all expect. I do think Rashad White eventually is going to become just like another receiver on this team almost. You know, kind of like how they use Leonard Fournette after Chris Godwin went down and obviously everything happened with Antonio Brown. Fournette was still obviously a bell cow at running back, but he really showed his true value, in my opinion, when he became like a receiving running back. So I can almost see that with Rashad White where he'll get on the field, he'll get some rushes, keep the defenses guessing because you know when Bernard gets in there all right it's going to be a passing play you bring in Rashad White he's dynamic enough he can run the ball you can trust him and he can receive as well too so you're getting that dual threat that I think you're going to trust more than Keyshawn Vaughn I kind of think Keyshawn Vaughn it is what it is at this point he's just going to be there for depth purposes but I kind of see a star when it comes to Rashad White I really do yeah, I remember you you had uh, put that into some of your OTA reports from rookie minicamp camp and yeah. from, from the first OTA. So I was really excited to see that and to see him already starting to stand out. And I agree with you that I think by the end of the year, he's going to be featured in the offense quite a bit more. Um, what I thought was interesting from the OTAs was when they were discussing Leonard Fournette, the, the perception around Tom Brady is things need to be very specific. They need to happen, you know, in time, you've got to read things correct. And they were talking about Leonard Fournette. The coaching staff was, is he's an improviser. Now, yes. it seems to work really well with Brady in that he improvises and Brady can see the improvisation happening. And they're typically on the, the same page. But the coaches did say there are times where he's completely out of position and it's come back to bit him in the, bite him in the ass a little bit. Yeah. Um, whereas I think with Gio, Gio Bernard, he, he's he's a pro's pro, right? He He's going to be at his landmark on time, every time. And I hope to see a lot more of Gio because 
he really showed out when he was healthy last year. And I think that there's more for him there. And I think the more he's able to effectively operate within his role, I think it's the better it makes Leonard Fournette because it saves him. Um, so I think that's a really cool, really interesting one. Just jumping back over to the edge defender, I think one thing for Bucks to, uh, fans to look out for, there are still some talented edge rushers available in free agency um, who could be great depth pieces. And that's a position where I could see a move being made when other teams go to cut downs, uh, where some talented guys maybe don't make their rosters for uh, any number of reasons. And that could be a way where the Bucks are able to take advantage and find a fourth edge rusher with a little bit more mass and, and who can hold up in the run game a bit better than Anthony and, and Gil Kim. Yeah, I, I think it's going to be another move or two, whether it's defensive line, um, edge rusher, as you just said, there's going to be another move of a veteran player coming. We've seen it every single year, and I don't think we'll get that until, you know, right around training camp gets going. And you just talked about, you know, standing out, stepping up, whatever you want to call it. Another way that you could stand out is by having a great bowling game. And, of course, if you're yes. going to go bowling, the best place to go to is pin chasers. Not only does Pin Chasers have multiple locations, such as East Pasco, Zephyr Hills, Midtown, and Veterans, there is one uh, very close to where the facility is, where the Bucks practice. But it's more than just a bowling alley. It's more than just going to hit the lanes. Um, it's an awesome timeout with friends and family. It's a great spot to set up a birthday party for your kids. There's an arcade area that you can go so the kids can bowl, play video games, pretty much all at the same time. But the food is Extremely underrated. You see a lot of the pizza on the screen there, too. They got wings, nachos, everything you could ask for. It's very underrated. And the waiters and waitresses bring it right to you. You don't even have to get up from your lane. And that's just one of the great things about Pin Chasers. Another great thing about them is that they have different deals literally every single night. Uh, we quote tweeted one of them before, too, about um, having two slices, two pies of pizza. See if anyone can down that. But they have all-you-can-eat pizza nights. They got... Dollar Miller Lights, All You Can Bowl. They have different deals all the time. They got great brunch specials as well on the weekend. So go to pinchasers.net to reserve a lane or book a party and to see all the great deals that they have. And their owner, Anthony Peroni, was a huge Bucks fan as well, too. So you're supporting a fellow Bucks fans. Uh, we're going to have another event out at Pinchasers quite soon at some point um, over the next couple weeks or a month or so. Can't get into all the details yet, but... Bucks fans, you will be excited about it. So make sure you go to pinchasers.net for more information about all these great places and bowling lanes. Shout out, Pinchasers. All right, Josh, as we wrap things up, one last thing I want to talk about. And again, thank you very much uh, for spending your time with us. I know you're a very busy man. Uh, one of the last things I just wanted to encapsulate for uh, to, to, to put a bow on this show, I guess I would say, is we talked a lot about the cap. We talked a lot about Gronk and, and the value and everything there. I think one of the situations that it'll kind of all comes together, whether it's Gronk coming back, whether it's wanting to re-sign Sue, Julio Jones, or Chris Godwin, I think a lot of this deals with, and it kind of all plays hand-in-hand hand with Chris Godwin in terms of Jason Light's got a lot of plates spinning right now. And one of the first things that they have to find out, and they're not going to find out right away because he's rehabbing from an injury, but 
in a perfect world, they would love to know exactly when Chris Godwin is going to come back. Because if you know he's going to come back by, I don't know, sometime in August, he's going to have some weeks to get ready before the regular season. Then there's not much of an emphasis on trying to get someone like Julio Jones. Right. If Chris Godwin, you know, is not going to be there until, you know, let's just say first week of October, but you're going to get Gronk back, then it's like, okay, well, we'd like Julio, but as long as we got Gronk, we might be okay there. But if we have to pay Gronk, then Adam Sue becomes even less of an option because we gave some of that money to Gronk unless, you know, they can do the void years as you talked about before. So I guess what I'm trying to say is, which one of those factors I think is the most important. And it's kind of tough to be Jason light right now with all these plates spinning. Yeah, it, it, it is difficult. You know, I think like you said, perfect world, they know exactly what the timetable is on Godwin. And I'm sure they've got some ideas publicly. They're not going to talk about timetables and it makes sense for them not to, because why put that out there? And if there's a setback setting, setting yourselves up to publicly have to face some type of, well, you said this, right. But I'm sure internally there are some timetables and I'm sure they're planning for, yeah, I, I think most people, when you talk about planning, you've got your best case scenario, you've got your worst case scenario, and then you've got your most likely outcome. And I'm sure there were airing on the second or the third, right? What's the worst case scenario when it comes to Godwin? Mm -hmm. What's the most likely and how do we prepare for that? It's a long season though. You, you don't lose the season in the first four weeks. Um, you don't win it in the first four weeks either. And I think that most likely their plan centers on what gives us the best opportunity to win as many of the 17 games as possible and come out as a division leader. Um, and I think that even if Codwin's not ready, based on the, the staff they have now, or the, I'm sorry, the roster they have now, I think that they can roll into the beginning of the season with the receiving options they have and game planning those guys up. I think there's a difference between knowing one of your big playmakers isn't going to be with you for the first stretch of the season versus that happening late in the season or middle of the season where you have to try and, excuse me, um, you have to try and adapt in the moment. Whereas right now they have all sorts of time to game plan up and say, okay, let's create some scripts around Scotty Miller's skill set. Let's create some mm. scripts around C Cyril Grayson's skill set. Let's, um, create a package around Rashad White and, and Gio Bernard and, and whatnot. And let's get those installs in right now. So we feel good through the first few games while Godwin's getting back to speed that we can still put a productive offense on the field. And I think that that's important because they have all sorts of time to get those installs ready. Yeah, the Bucks have dealt with it before and they can deal with it again, especially for the first month of the season versus the last month of the season. Yeah. I think the most important thing is, as you said, that Chris Godwin is healthy, you know, as the season goes on. And definitely don't rush him too early. Just going to get to a couple fan comments here, and then we'll close it out. Flash Gordon says, Bucks are probably hoping Anthony to beat out Gil. I don't necessarily agree with that. I think it's just a matter of may the best man win. You know, uh, Anthony is a seventh-round pick, so it's yeah. not like it's a guarantee. Bucks have had a lot of success with Grant Stewart, Mr. Irrelevant, the last pick of the draft, obviously has become a very important piece to uh special teams for the box so i think it's all about who who wins it it's not rooting yeah. one guy over the other from my perspective no matter who makes the final 53 i don't think you worry too much about the other guy not making it through waivers and onto your practice squad so yeah. i think both are, are probably in the bucks future um 
or, or part of their their team for the season. One most likely as a roster uh, rostered player, the other on yeah. the, the squad. Yeah. Uh, where's Matt from? I'm feel like I'm picking up New York from some of his words. I am from Long. Uh, I am from New York, Long Island. How you doing? So yeah, you nailed that one. Uh, Patricia says White seems to be a better running back and pass catcher than any of the other potential number twos. That's true. I think the Bucks for a while haven't really had that that separate pass catching running back. You know, obviously Fournette does a lot too, but Ronald Jones that wasn't you know his expertise. I think the Bucks are really getting that now with Rashad White. You know, Keyshawn Vaughn had some issues catching the ball yeah. last year too. You're really getting a natural fluid type of running back they really haven't had patricia i think you may be underselling geo bernard i mean he's made a career as a pass catching third down running back and and he brings a skill set that's also very important to the bucks that's a little under um appreciated as a third down running back which is uh historically over his career he's a fantastic um blocking a running back as well so i think you may be underselling geo bernard but the upside on Rashad White, I would say, is probably higher than what um, Bernard's ceiling is at this point. Yeah, and we will probably see both of those running backs tomorrow on Wednesday. And just want to remind everyone, too, that we will be back again tomorrow at 4 p.m. to recap uh, week two of the Bucks OTAs. We'll see who was there, who wasn't, some of the positional battles, who looked good, who excelled, who stood out. And then the next day, so that's Wednesday, the following day, we have a huge show on Thursday as Scott and I will be joined by special guest Will Golston, one of the longest tenured Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He's back for another season along the defensive line. We'll ask him about Bita Vea, Logan Hall, obviously his experience playing with the Bucs, a ton to get into there. It's going to be an extremely exciting show on Thursday as we're joined by Will Golston. So a lot of information to get over the next two days, watching Bucks OTAs tomorrow on Wednesday and speaking to Will Golston on Thursday. So make sure you subscribe here, hit the like button, hit the thumbs up, help us with that algorithm. Go to pewterreport.com, check out our videos on Pewter Report TV, and you know we'll be back at it again. So for Josh Capo, I'm Matt Matera saying thanks everyone. Thank you everyone for watching. Sometimes I speak too fast, but thanks everyone. I appreciate you. I love you for watching this and we'll catch you again tomorrow for another edition of the Pewter Report podcast. Peace out.